Today on the Matt Walsh Show, an Uber driver is fired for refusing to take a woman to get an abortion. I believe the driver is heroic, but should the driver have been fired? And does the woman have a legal case against the driver? She's getting legal representation. She's going to try to sue him. Does she have a case? We'll talk about it. Also, Charlize Theron says that her three-year-old son discovered that he was a girl. Uh, We'll talk about that. And do I lack sympathy for college graduates because I don't want their loans to be forgiven by stealing money from other people to pay off their debts. Um, Is that lacking sympathy on my part? We'll discuss that as well today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, this is this is sad, guys. This is really pathetic. I have to I have to say uh, uh, my wife and kids are out of town for the week. Uh, I've been I've been here at, at the house by myself since Monday morning because uh, my wife wanted to go visit her sister and, and you know, I have to work. Plus, I gotta, I'm going to Texas tomorrow for a speech. So that's how I ended up here alone. Um, and so I've, I've got the whole house to myself. I've got, I've got the run of the house, you know, no wife, no kids. It's the first time since I've been married that, that, that this has been the case. I mean, I travel a lot, so I'm on my own when I travel most of the time. But as far as being home alone, having the run of the house, no kids, no wife, first time. And I thought, well, I'm going to really take advantage of that. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I don't know. I just, I feel like I should do something with this freedom. But the only thing I could, the only ways that I could find to take advantage of it have been to eat a lot of takeout food and uh, leave wet towels on the bathroom floor. And that's, that's it. That's what my celebration of independence has consisted of. And this is adulthood, I guess. This is, this is, uh, this is all it is. What else is well, you know? What else am I really gonna do? I guess. And then, well, okay. I did do one other thing. I sat on I sat on our white couch last night and ate pizza. Uh, so I did do that, and I, I could never get away with that under normal circumstances. So um, I guess I did have that one adventure that I will remember and cherish always. All right. Um, I want to start with uh, with with this story. Um, it was in the Daily Wire, trending now. Uh, getting a lot of attention. Very, very interesting story. There's, there's a kind of a lot going on here. Um, so let me read now from Amanda's report in the Daily Wire. It says a 20-year-old college student in upstate New York reported an Uber driver for refusing to take her to get an abortion. According to the woman's account, which was reported on uh, reported by Yahoo, the ride-sharing company canned the pro-lifer, but now the woman is looking to take legal action against the driver. She wrote in a, on Reddit, um, I'm in college in upstate New York. I don't have a car on campus because it's expensive. I'm 20 years old. I found out I was pregnant and subsequently decided that I wanted an abortion because I'm in no position to take care of the child. Um, and she went on to talk about she found a clinic about an hour from the university. And then she had to call, call an Uber to, to pick her up. The student, then going back to the article, says the student then recounted her interaction with the Uber driver who attempted to dissuade the woman from choosing abortion before telling her he could not drive her to the clinic. Um, She says, quote, my appointment was at 11.30 a.m. So at 9.58 a.m., my Uber arrived and he immediately seemed uncomfortable. After about five minutes in the car, he asked, are we going to a Planned Parenthood? I said no, because we weren't. But it set off alarm alarm bells that he would even ask that. She continues, the destination I put in was just the name of the doctor and the address of the clinic. There was nothing that would suggest it was an abortion clinic. After a few more minutes, he asked, are we going to an abortion clinic? I was shocked, she said. 
I had no idea what to say, so I just remained quiet. He then said, I know it's none of my business, but, and proceeded to mention something about his wife being pregnant, how awful the procedure was, uh, the abortion procedure, uh, said that there's so much they don't tell you, and then said, uh, you're going to regret this decision for the rest of your life. And I, she said, said that I was making a mistake. Um, and then he, uh, about halfway to the clinic, he pulled over with no warning. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't take you the rest of the way. I can take you back to the city, but you won't be able to find another Uber out here. Um, so then the woman said she finally got a hold of her boyfriend who advised her to call the clinic and inform them that she'd be late. Talked to his boyfriend some more. Um, he came, picked her up. He, he managed to calm her down. And uh, then she eventually did get to the clinic and the abortion happened. Um, but the driver, driver was fired. And now she's looking at pursuing further legal action against the driver, um, saying that, you know, she thinks she might have a case. She, she's reached out to a law firm. Okay. All right. So a few points here. Number one, let's just pause for a moment. And this is sort of a side issue, but I, I couldn't help but notice um, the cowardice of the boyfriend in this situation. His girlfriend is going off presumably to kill the child. I mean, we know he's just killing a child. Presumably to kill his child. Presumably. Um, apparently with his blessing. But originally, he's not taking her. He's, he's having an Uber come and drive her an hour to this clinic for the procedure to be performed. Um, it says that she's, you know, she was finally able to get a hold of him. And uh, his advice is, oh, you know, let him know you'll, you'll be late. And then finally, when she's stranded on the side of the road, he, he decides to come and pick her up and take her the rest of the way. So it would appear that the boyfriend is a deadbeat loser. Um, and... That's the thing about abortion that feminists ignore because they have to ignore it or they feel like they have to is that abortion is great for deadbeat losers like this boyfriend. Um, this idea that you know men are opposed to abortion or that the pro-life movement is a man's movement, um, you know, uh, it, it's like it, like it's it's only men who who are opposed to abortion. The pro-life movement is just about is is just men um, because it's some sort of sexist conspiracy. Well, that is just obviously absurd uh, because the fact is, lots of men like this woman's boyfriend love abortion and they hate pro-lifers because abortion enables them to use women for sexual pleasure with with the assurance that the consequences of their rendezvous will be disposed of and disposed of we should note on the woman's dime most of the time on her conscience um and she will be the one to suffer most of the physical and emotional pain from it now men can also and often do suffer incredible emotional pain from abortion um if they are willing to confront what it is that's happening. But oftentimes men, at least men who are, who, who go along with this and encourage their, their girlfriends and uh, to get abortions, they're not confronting it and they're not forced to because they don't even have to go to the clinic. They could just sit back and say, Oh yeah, you know, just get an abortion, take care, take care of it. Right. Um, so for scummy men, for loser men, for selfish men, Abortion is great. They absolutely love it. Men, um, men gain nothing from opposing abortion. 
You know, I've opposed abortion all my life. I have not benefited practically from this position. How could I? Nobody on this side does. Man or woman, we take this position purely for ethical reasons. That's the only reason we take it. There's nothing else we stand to gain. This whole idea about, you know, men want to control women's bodies and so forth, that also is obviously ridiculous. And I don't deny that some men in the world do want to control women's bodies. You can look at the Middle East, for instance. Women have to walk around in body bags, essentially. Um, and often, you know, they can't vote. They can't drive. They, they, they don't have any, um, any self-determination whatsoever. So, okay, yes. Now, there is an example uh, where you've got Sharia law. You've got a, a patriarchal society where men have claimed the right and the power, the authority to control women's bodies. That really does happen, and it's happening in those kinds of societies. But a man who says, look, women can wear what they want, they can say what they want, they can live how they want, they can do what they want within the law. Uh, women can have all the same opportunities as men. Women are legally equal legally equal to men in, in every way. Um, a man who says that is not a man who is looking to control women's bodies. And if that man happens to be pro-life, that is only because he believes that the body in question here, the body under dispute, is not the woman's body, but the child's body. And that is a separate body. And as for that body, he does not think that it should be destroyed. Um, you can disagree. Now, you're wrong and foolish to disagree, but you can. But to call that controlling women's bodies is idiotic. And to accuse that man of wanting to control women's bodies is, is idiotic. Um, if he wanted to control women, he'd be a supporter of Sharia law. And if you wanted to exploit women and use them, he'd be pro-abortion. But being um, not a supporter of Sharia law, yet pro-life, well, that is, just, that, is a, that is simply an ethical position that has nothing to do with controlling anyone. Um, all right, so... That's kind of a side issue that I ranted about, but uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's an important point when you see the role of the man in these kinds of stories. On this particular topic, though, I think there are a few things, a few other things that jump out. Um, first, the driver, the Uber driver, acted heroically. Uh, he found himself in a moral quandary that, that he probably never anticipated he would be in. Uh, so he, he somehow knew, and it's not clear from the story, how did he know that she was going to an abortion clinic? He somehow knew it. Maybe he, maybe he came up on the GPS. He recognized the name, whatever. Um, and he realized where he was going and what he was unwittingly taking part in. And so he had two choices at that point. He could just go along with it. He could say nothing. He could protect his livelihood and his reputation and his convenience and, and do the convenient, easy thing. Take her, take the money, be done with it. Or he could refuse to take part. He could, he could try to talk to the woman. He could try to reason with her. Um, and ultimately, if that fails, he could refuse to go along with it and say, I can't take you there. Now, I think many, many, many people, even pro-life people, would probably choose the first option, the path of least resistance. Uh, and they would say, you know, it's got, it's got nothing to do with me. It's not my fault. I'm just going to take her. It's not worth the trouble. He chose the second route, and that is heroism. That is real heroism, and he deserves credit for that. Um, especially in a culture where we, there's, there's so little moral heroism, yet heroism is so often claimed. You know, there's a, there's a, a vast disparity between the, the, the number of times that the word hero is used to describe something 
and the number of times that we actually see real heroics. So I just saw a story about a woman. Um, maybe you saw this online. A woman who threw a bag of puppies into a dumpster um, in California. And uh, she's since been arrested, and, and for good reason. Um, but she throws the bag of puppies in. A, a, a homeless guy comes by, and he's, you know, he's looking through the dumpster for whatever he can salvage. He happens to find the puppies, and he, he pulls them out. Um, and he finds someone, and, um, and the, the puppies are, are saved. Now, the homeless guy is being called a hero. That's what the, the media is calling him a hero. Well, I'm glad he pulled the puppies out. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it, it's, it's a good thing that he did. I'm not certainly not criticizing him, obviously, but that's not heroic. It's a good thing to do, but it's not heroic. Any decent human being would do the same, right? It's, it, it's the instinctive response. I mean, almost anyone, if you saw a bag of puppies in a dumpster, you would take the bag out. To not take it out would be unbelievably evil. You would be just as evil as the woman who, who threw the bag in. So what we're saying about this homeless man is what we're saying is he's not unbelievably evil, which is great. But just because you're not unbelievably evil doesn't make you a hero. And just g- reaching in and grabbing the bag and saying, well, okay, and bringing it. So it's, it's not heroic. Um, and I, I do think it's an important point. Again, I'm not, obviously it's not a criticism. It's just let's, let's calm down for a minute and stop calling everything heroic. Because when you do that, you cheapen heroism. Heroism is when you risk something. It's when there are two options and one is the easier, less risky, more advantageous route for you, but you reject that path and take the riskier, less advantageous, harder path because it's the ethically superior path. Now, that is what heroism is. That's what a hero does. And I want to be clear about that. Now, does, uh, so that's her own. Does Uber have the right to fire this guy? Well, they do. Absolutely. I wish they didn't. I don't think they should have, but it's their company. They have the right to do that. They don't have to keep him employed. If they don't agree with his decision, uh, they, they can decide to fire him. They can hire and fire whoever they want. I believe that. I believe in in the rights of employers to make these kinds of decisions, you know, absolutely. And other drivers who work for Uber will just have to decide if they want to remain affiliated with the company. And we as potential passengers will have to decide if we want to um, give our money to the company. That's, that's a decision we'll have to make. But Uber has that right. That's a separate question, though, from does the woman have a case against the driver? Can she sue him? Um, and I would say, no, well, she, well, she could file the lawsuit, but does she have a case? No, because what would her case be? The fact is she's sitting in this man's car. He owns the car. He might drive for Uber, but that doesn't make him her slave. And if he doesn't want to take her to a certain place, he has the right, the legal right and the moral right as well to say no, to make that decision. It would be, it'd be a similar thing to if, um, And I know there are Uber drivers and cab drivers in this situation where you've got someone who gets in your car, is plastered drunk, and says, hey, take me to the bar, take me to the liquor store. And so you not only have the right, but I would say probably moral obligation in that case to say, no, I'm not going to take you because it's not right. You're not in a position to go drink right now. Um, So it's the same sort of situation. This, This guy was not under any legal obligation to go take her to kill her child. Um, and it's as simple as that. 
Now, of course, yeah. what does it tell you about this woman that um, she not only did what she did to her child, but now uh, she's not satisfied with getting this guy fired. Now she wants to sue him as well. And what does it really tell you? Well, I'll tell you what it, I'll tell you what it tells you. It tells us that, um, among other things, this is a woman with a with a seared conscience. Uh, this is a woman with a guilty conscience. And I think sometimes people on the pro life side can miss that when you see women who are vindictive in their support for abortion and who look to punish anyone who opposes it. Um, and a woman like this, who she already got his, got him fired, take, took his livelihood away. You'd think that'd be enough. Now she wants to go further. Well, that's just, this. she is someone who's trying to convince herself that she's the victim um, and that she's in the right and she's the good guy. She's trying to convince herself. And so many of the arguments for abortion that you hear um, especially from radical feminists and from, as I said, the most vindictive types. When you hear the arguments, one of the reasons why the arguments they present are so bad and unconvincing and illogical and irrational is that they're not really presenting the argument to you. They're not really talking to you. They're talking to themselves. To themselves. They're, they are, they're trying to convince themselves of what they're saying. It's not about convincing you, it's about convincing themselves. Because at some level, they know that this is wrong. And any woman who's gotten an abortion, at some level knows that what she did was wrong. And there are many women who, at every level, know that it's wrong and regret it and, and, and unfortunately live with, with guilt and, um, and uh, you know, emotional hardship that they will struggle with probably their whole lives. And, and which, of course, the, the clinics and, and Planned Parenthood will just leave them with because uh, Planned Parenthood isn't going to offer any post-abortive counseling to women who are struggling with this because Planned Parenthood would deny that that, that, that's even, that, that even happens. Um, so, but that's just, that's an important point here about this. This will be an interesting case to continue to follow. Um, all right, let's, uh, so I wanted, to, I wanted to mention this as well. Um, you know, Charlize Theron, Theron, however you pronounce her last name, I never have been quite sure, to be honest. She recently complained that she is, quote, shockingly single at the age of 43. And uh, I guess there were some people who were confused by that. Well, how could, how could this woman, you know, very attractive woman, Hollywood celebrity, rich, uh, how could she be single? How, how has she not found a man by now? Well, I think now we know why, because in another interview that was published uh, last week, late last week, she, quote, confirmed that her seven-year-old son is actually a girl. Um, the poor young boy who she now parades around in a dress announced his gender identity at the age of three. Um, according to Charlize Theron, he announced his gender identity. And this is, uh, this is the quote from Theron. She says, yes, I thought she was a boy too, until she looked at me when she was three years old and said, I am not a boy. And that's how at the age of three, at the age of three, that's how she discovered that uh, her son is 
really a girl. Now, I uh, I have a son who is almost three, and I have twins who passed that threshold a couple of years ago. Um, I can say from experience that a child at the age of three knows nothing about the world, uh, just knows absolutely nothing. He cannot speak in com- complex sentences. He thinks cartoons are real. Okay, when a three-year-old watches TV, he thinks that the, the cartoons are real creatures who are literally inside the TV talking to him. Okay, that's what he thinks. Um, he, he, he doesn't know the difference between truth and fiction. Literally doesn't know the difference. As in, if you were to say to a three-year-old or even a four-year-old, um, unicorns aren't real... Well, you're not you're not spoiling anything because they don't even they don't understand what that means. They don't know what not real means. It do, that doesn't mean anything to them that sentence. So they don't understand the difference between truth and fiction. Um, they you know a, a three year old believes in Santa and unicorns and, and monsters under his bed. He thinks that his toys come to life when he leaves the room. Um, he is slightly more intelligent than a goat, basically, and slightly less intelligent than a dolphin. No offense to three year olds, I, I you know. Um, uh, I, I think I think three year olds are awesome too. By the way, I think it's a great age. It's one of my favorite, maybe maybe my 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 favorite age for a little kid. Um, but the point is that these are these are very uh, these are not very intellectually developed or complex beings yet at that stage. Um, these are pe- people who believe literally anything they're told on any subject. Um, when my twins were that age, for instance, and you know, I, I admit that I, I like to do this with my kids. I'll just tell them the craziest stories I can think of. And uh, so I, I, told my, I told my kids when they were three, my twins, that I, I used to live on the moon when I was a kid. And I had a pet flying shark named Rocky. And I flew down here from the moon on my shark. Okay, And I told them that. And they were so thrilled by that biographical detail about my life that I didn't have the heart to admit I was lying. And they might still actually believe it, for all I know. They might be telling their friends that their, that their daddy used to live on the moon riding a, a, a flying shark. Um, so what I'm trying to stress here is just that three-year-old children are very, very young. And they are very, very limited their, in, in their ability to understand anything. And one subject that they certainly cannot grasp is biology. So the next time you hear a three-year-old boy claim to be a girl, which is an extraordinarily common phenomenon, okay? It, 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 this is, it's a very common for, for young boys to say stuff like that. It's only recently that the adults have become so stupid and deluded that they, they hear that and they think, oh my gosh, this is so significant. This is a, he just claimed to be a girl. For, for, for thousands of years, three-year-olds would say stuff like that and the parents would go, okay, honey, all right. Pat them on the head, send them on their way. Um, but if you really are concerned or if you're confused, well, here's something. The next time you hear a three-year-old child, three-year-old boy claim to be a girl, here's the follow-up question to ask this, this child. Say, okay, what's a girl? Now, if that statement means anything coming from his mouth, then he should be able to answer that question and tell you what he thinks a girl is. But he won't be able to answer that question. Because the word girl to him means nothing. It's, it is a sound that people make. When he says, I'm a girl, he may as well be saying, I'm a who's a what's it? Uh, or I'm an apple. Or, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a couch. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a, 
These are just words. They don't mean anything to him. At the absolute most, at the absolute most, if this is a, a child who is very developed in his thinking and is much smarter than your average three-year-old, then maybe when he says that, what he might mean is that he is interested in the things that his little toddler brain associates with girls, like bright colors, princesses, fairies, dolls, etc. Um, it probably doesn't even mean that, because most three-year-olds can't draw those associations like that. But at most, at most, that's what it means. At most, you could translate, I'm a girl, to, I think Tinkerbell is cool. And considering he thinks that Tinkerbell is real, I can hardly blame him for thinking that. I mean, it would, I think it'd be cool too if Tinkerbell was real. Um, so, you know, uh, of course this whole conversation is unnecessary in general because our sex is not something that we can reject or change at any age. Uh, so it doesn't, three-year-olds can't decide their gender, neither can 33-year-olds. Nobody can. It's just, it's, it's scientifically impossible. But even if I hit my head and I woke up believing that biology really is adjustable and you can change it, um, I would need to suffer several more traumatic brain injuries before I would get to the point where I would think that toddlers could be entrusted to make those adjustments. Even a person confused enough to believe in the whole concept of transgenderism should still be sane enough to understand that a human being who's only three or four years old cannot possibly be entrusted with that decision. Um, that's, that's what I want to stress, is the levels of crazy that we're dealing with here. Where you've got the whole idea that you can change your sex. That's crazy enough. And now, but, but even if I were to accept that premise, which of course I do not even a little bit accept it, but even if I did, I, I would still... There's no way that I would think that a three-year-old could be could could do that. Um, there are a lot of actual decisions that we can make with our lives as adults, but that we don't let children make. In fact, three-year-olds, we don't really let three-year-olds make any decisions, really. Every, de every decision they make is in a very controlled environment, and we exercise the right to override it. And we do override almost all of their independent decisions. Uh, I mean, I've, if you've got a three-year-old, especially a three-year-old boy, you're sitting there all day. So you're trying to stop them from killing themselves. Honestly, I don't know how any three-year-old boy survives past, past three, um, considering how often you have to step in and avert disaster for them. So, I mean, have you ever, have you ever been... You know, you go to uh, Cold Stone or some, you know, some, one of these ice cream places... And have you ever been stuck in line behind a mother and a, and a child, uh, a young child, where the mother, for whatever reason, is letting the child decide every, all the you know, what kind of ice cream he wants and what he wants on the ice cream? Well, you're gonna be you're gonna be sitting there for 72 hours because the child cannot make even that decision. If you put 32 flavors in front of a child, say which flavor do you want, and here are 10 toppings, which toppings. He, he, he cannot decide. He's, he, he really can't. So you have to just make that. Now, experienced parents know, well, I'm not going to give you a choice. At most, I'll give you, you know, ice cream or vanilla. Uh, and you've got 30 seconds. You've got 10 seconds to decide. But probably I'll just decide for you. And whatever I decide, you'll like. You don't need to decide for yourself. It's ice cream. You'll enjoy it. Um, so kids at that age can't make any decisions. The idea that they can make a decision like this 
is um, is insane. Now, I call it insane, but there's a question here. Charlize Theron and and people like her, are they really that insane? Or are they purposefully instilling gender confusion into their perfectly healthy and normal children simply to be fashionable? Um, so is this wickedness on the part of the parents or mental illness? And again, I'm talking about the parents. Now, a three-year-old child is neither wicked nor mentally ill. Just, it's just, 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 that's a normal kid. But it seems to me, to, as a parent, to allow your three-year-old to choose his gender, you would have to be mentally ill or evil. Um, I, I don't see any room in between. I don't see a third option here. And that's really the only question on this matter. Okay, I did want to briefly revisit um, the topic of student loan forgiveness. And I guess this counts as a mailbag thing because I'm, I'm going to respond to some of the feedback. Um, mattwalshow at gmail.com. Mattwalshow at gmail.com is the email address. Um, so, for example, this is along the lines of a lot of other email I received that says, Hello, Matt, I generally agree with your takes, but I think you're way off base on the student loan issue. If you don't have any loan debt, then you don't understand the crushing effect it has. People's lives are being destroyed. Our country would be greatly benefited by a plan to get rid of this burden. It seems you have no empathy for people struggling, and that's disappointing. You usually strike me as a humble and compassionate person, despite how you're portrayed. But on this issue yesterday and other times when you talk about it, you come across like a huge jerk. Very disappointing. At least other, um, at least offer solutions instead of simply mocking people who are struggling. All right. First of all, I did offer a solution. As I explained yesterday, uh, this crisis could be solved rather easily and without any sweeping governmental programs if we took a very simple step. There's a very simple step we could take that would negate this problem in the long term. And all that needs to happen, I will reiterate, is this. We have to stop shipping every 18-year-old off to a four-year college right out of high school. That's my whole point. And as long as we are determined to continue along this suicidal path, nothing is going to change. But if we're interested in restoring a little bit of sanity to the proceedings, we don't ultimately need free college or loan forgiveness or any other form of welfare um, because this would solve the problem. Again, long term. Now, this, you're still going to have to pay your own loans. That's something you're going to have to do. But 20, 30 years from now? We could make it so that this problem doesn't exist anymore. Just by making this one simple societal change, it's a change that there is no downside to it. Uh, there's no downside, and there's a ton of upside to a kid out of high school, getting a job for a few years, saving some money, gaining experience, gaining maturity, and figuring out what he actually wants to do with his life before deciding on his educational plan. I just, I cannot think of any rational argument against this course of action. I can think of trillions of arguments against the course of action that we commonly take of shipping every kid um, off to college right from high school. If we turned off that conveyor belt, this conveyor belt that unthinkingly dumps every high school graduate into a four-year institution, ultimately we would end up with fewer people going to college because a lot of people in the interim would discover vocations that don't require a college degree. And the ones who do attend will be more financially secure. They'll have more money. They'll have more maturity. Um, and they'll have, they'll have a, a, an idea, uh, more of an idea probably, as to what they actually want to do with their life so they can get a 
more targeted education, and they can and they can enter into a major that that actually will be useful to them. Um, so that's my solution, and I think it's a good solution. If by solution you mean a a switch that we could just flip and all of this goes away, well, no, I don't have that, and I don't think there is a magical switch. As for lacking sympathy, that's not true. I have a ton of sympathy for people who are in debt. I have sympathy for people who are underwater with their mortgage or their credit card debt or medical bills or student loans or, or any kind of debt. I mean, if you're in debt to the, to the mafia, I have, I have a lot of sympathy for you. Um, whether it was rec- recklessness or happenstance or you know personal tragedy or, or whatever it is that put you in that position, I have sympathy. I have compassion. Um, so. I'll I'll make that clear if I hadn't already made it clear. But the moment that you demand that the government conscript your fellow citizens to pay your debt for you, the moment you try to, by using the mechanism of the state, appropriate money from other people, from your fellow human, to alleviate your own suffering, that's the moment that I lose all sympathy because it's the moment that you become a thief. And um, that's, how I, that's how I see this. If you are asking, now you might not be the one going, you might not be putting on a ski mask and going and robbing a liquor store or something, but you, I mean, in some ways this is worse because it's less honest. At least a, at least a, a thief, a, a, you know, a thief in a, in a ski mask knows what he's doing and admits it. But when you go to the government and say, you know what, I don't want to get my hands dirty, but I, what I want you to do is I want you to go and take money from those people over there and give it to me. Um, I, I just see that as theft. I do. And um, so, no, I don't have any sympathy for that. That's the difference. All the sympathy, sympathy in the world for people who are, who are struggling, when you try to alleviate your own struggles and your own suffering by causing it among other people, well, sorry. I mean, the, the sympathy meter just went from 100 down to zero as quickly as that. That's, that's how I look at it. Um, this is from Micah. says, hey, Mr. Walsh, aren't bees communists? Well, I suppose they are in a way. Uh, no private property, everything owned by the state, which would be the queen bee. So, well, actually, I, I guess it's more of a, it's more of a serfdom. Uh, it's kind of like a feudal type of situation. Really, the greater concern for me is that bees are radical feminists. Um, only the women work or contribute. The men are used for for menial tasks around the hive and, and for mating mostly. And um, and then at wintertime, they're evicted into the snow or murdered by the hive uh, to save resources. So it's a very troubling anti-male attitude in the bee community. And it's something that I'll be working on with my own hive. I, in fact, I installed my hive last night um, and I, I did give them a quick lecture on gender equality. Uh, it's just a quick, about 45 minutes, and I'll, I'll be going back later tonight to kind of get round two, and I plan to work. I'll go every, you know, two or three times a week, um, and uh, I'll have different time, different subjects as well, but um, uh, I just, I think it's very important to have well-educated bees. Now, actually, speaking of which, and this is true, I, I went to pick up my bees yesterday, um, and I was picking them up from an apiary, which is basically a, a bee farm. And I get there. It's my first. I've never picked up bees before, so I don't really know what the process is. And it's uh, I, I pull up, and it's this older woman and her and her husband. And she goes, uh, "All right, well, well, put on your bee suit." 
And I said, I, well, I didn't know I needed to bring my bee suit to pick up the bees. I, I thought that I was just going to be getting a box and I would bring it home. And um, I didn't realize that picking up the bees meant going down into the bee yard where hundreds of thousands of bees are swarming around like mad. And I had to secure my own box of bees, which means putting in, they give you this, she gave me this yellow cork and a rubber band. And she pointed to a pallet of a bunch of boxes of bees with bees all swarming around. She said, okay, choose one of those boxes and you got to put the cork in because there's a, there's an entrance where the bees fly in and out before the box is picked up. So you got to cork the, the hole, which is swarming with bees and then put the, uh, the rubber band. That's going to be the only thing that keeps the box, box closed while you're driving home. And I had to go do that without a bee suit. And that was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, the one piece of advice the woman gave me, she said, um, she said, be quick and smart. And I said, okay, that was her advice. So I grabbed the bees and it was a little bit anticlimactic, honestly, because uh, I didn't, I didn't get any other advice besides be quick and smart. They didn't ask me any questions. So other than that, they were just basically like, all right, enjoy your bees. See you later. And I thought, shouldn't they, I mean, shouldn't they ask for my driver's license or something? How do they, I feel like there should be more going on here. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm picking up a box of 10,000 angry bees. Um, then I drove home 20 or 30 miles, very windy and hilly roll, ro uh, you know, windy and, and hilly roads with a big box of bees sitting next to me. I could hear them buzzing in the passenger seat. Uh, and I kept thinking to myself, man, there, there is just a rubber band separating me from 10,000 bees. What if I hit a deer? What if I, what if I hit a deer and the airbags come out and this box opens up and then I'm killed and I'm stuck behind the airbag? being stung to death. And then I started thinking to myself, what kind of headline will that be? You know, conservative commentator stung to death by 10,000 bees after fender bender with deer. And then I thought that would be kind of a funny headline. And I don't know how I feel about having my death become a funny headline on Drudge Report or something. Um, anyway, I made it home alive and I got the bees in and, uh, and now I'm a beekeeper, folks. So there's that story. All right. Um, from Dominic says, hi, Matt, I'm a 17 year old who is not going to college due to your advice. I've been listening to your show for a few months now, and I've been persuaded not to attend college, at least for a few years after graduation. Instead, I'm going to start working full time after high school. One thing I've noticed is that there's an extreme amount of pressure on kids to go to college. People come up to me and, and instead of asking my plans after high school, they ask, what college are you going to? When I say I'm not going to attend college, they always give me a disappointed look. However, when I explain to them my reasoning, which I get from you, they always act as if they haven't even thought about it before and brighten up. I think there is no way this pressure is healthy, and I applaud you for standing against it. Well, Dominic, uh, I, I applaud you for making a different but I think wise decision. Look, ultimately, you got to do what's right for you. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and try to tell an individual person personally what's right for them. But I think that, look, I don't, I don't see, Dominic, any downside in your plan. If you're going to go get a job, you could still go to college if you decide you want to. It's not a race. Uh, you've got plenty of life still ahead of you, God willing. So get a job, make some money, have some experience. Maybe when you're 20 years old, you'll decide, hey, I want to go to college. And then you can. And, and you'll have, you'll act, you can actually do that and have money w when you do it. Um, so I think that that's a wonderful plan. And uh, I don't suspect that you'll regret it. I, I don't think, you know, I really doubt that there's anyone at the age of 40 
who waited three or four years to go to college at a high school and regrets it. Like they're living in regret, wishing they had gone when they were 18 instead of 20 or 21. I don't think there's anyone in that position. Uh, so you're, you're pretty safe as far as that goes. This is from Norm says, oh, great theocratic fascist dictator, the wisest of all dude man bros, Walsh the bearded. How can I grow a, a great beard such as the one of your own chin? I fear being executed when you gain power in the foreseeable future for my lack of beard growth. Please tell me so I may save myself. Well, Norm, I appreciate that you are thinking about this and, and your intuition is correct um, that you will be executed, uh, unfortunately. And as I always emphasize, it's nothing personal. Um, you know, when I am carrying out these sentences, it, it is only because it's the law, which has been arbitrarily decided by my own deranged whims. Um, as far as how do you do it, I, you know, I guess there's not really any advice I can offer. It's just, all I can say is figure it out. Uh, you know, you've got a few years until I complete my takeover, um, of the country and then the world. So I, look, I don't know, F figure it out. You know, and, and, uh, push comes to shove, you know, you could look at beard implants, I don't know, but you're, you're coming up against the deadline. That's all I can say. Uh, let's see. From Cindy says, Matt, please stop using the word miracle on your show. Your pronunciation of that word causes me great anxiety. Please stop. I can't take it anymore. I get like 10 emails like this every day now. People claiming that well, I say miracle and I'm supposed to pronounce it miracle. Miracle. Is that what you want, Cindy? Miracle. No, it's Miracle. Miracle. It's a gosh darn miracle. That's how I'm going to say it from now on. That's what you just earned, all you people, with your discriminatory attitudes towards my Baltimore accent. Uh, we'll do one more if I can find one. Uh, let's see. Okay, this is from Allison. It says, hi, Matt. Matt, I agree with a lot of your take on the Democratic lineup for 2020, so not even worth going through why none of them are worth our votes. Agreed. However, I have such mixed feelings about Trump, as I believe you do too. I see that his administration has done a lot of good for the country. At the same time, I don't like Trump leading us. I don't like the way he talks to and about others he disagrees with. I don't like his narcissism, the fact that he just can't refrain from making comments that do no good for his image, and unfortunately, by extension, the image of Republicans. These are, of course, just a few examples. I know this could or would never happen, but I can't help feeling like, can't Republicans just pick a new candidate for 2020? Someone to continue most of the policies, but who we could, be, we could be proud of and generally feel comfortable with. Why do we have to automatically continue with Trump? I realize the threat that this would cause a big division within the party is probably why we can't really consider it. But how about, what about, um, how about Trump has just offered a new reality TV deal if he backs a different Republican candidate? Interested to hear your thoughts on what, if anything, could allow us to consider a different candidate. Yeah, uh, Allison, I basically agree with your assessments there including your assessment that which you offered, which is that this hypothetical you're talking about could never happen, will not, never happen, won't happen. Um, it, it just doesn't happen where a, a party kicks out their incumbent or tries to. So it's simply not going to happen. Um, I, I, as I have expressed, and I know that Trump's most devoted followers don't want to hear it, don't like hearing it, but I think that there is a significant chance that Trump loses 
there's certainly a significant chance he loses. There's a significant chance he loses in a landslide. And um, maybe for his own good. And now, it's again, it's not going to happen. But um, you could argue that it would be in his best interest to say, hey, I'm a one-term president. I'm stepping out. I, I'm not losing. I just, I cho- I've done my, I've done what I wanted to do and I've, I've succeeded in this. And so now I'm going to go and I'm going to pass the torch to someone else. Um, I think that would be a politically savvy and smart move for Trump. And he could avoid the landslide loss. Um, he, he, he would also give Republicans a much better chance of winning in 2020 if they don't have Trump to run against anymore. I mean, their, their entire plan is to run, obviously, is running against Trump. And, and that's what they're, you know, they're not really planning on putting forward any vision for the future. Their whole thing is going to be anti-Trump, 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 and just ginning up as much of that Trump hatred as possible, which won't be difficult to do because the reality is, no matter how anyone personally feels about the guy, a lot of people in this country hate his guts. Now, you might not think they should, but they do. And there are a lot of people in that camp, and there are a lot of people who, who believe that he's a racist and a sexist and all these things. I don't think he is a racist. I think that's absurd, that, that claim. I think there's no basis for it whatsoever. But he has successfully been painted that way. Um, and you could say, well, they do that with every Republican. True, but they've done it much more successfully with Trump. And, and in, in, in some cases, he has made it easy on them. Um, Again, not because he's really racist, but because he just has no discipline whatsoever in what he says. And that is not an advantage. It just isn't. The whole comment about, you know, during the the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, and he said the good people on both sides. I mean, that's one of those comments that that's going to live in infamy. They're going to throw that at him again and again and again in 2020. They've been throwing it at him for the last few years to great effect. Maybe not effective to Trump's fans, but to a lot of other people, they hear a comment like that and they think, what? Good people on both sides. Um, So that kind of thing is what they can use. And the point is, um, in order for Trump to win, he is going to need depressed turnouts in places like Philadelphia and Detroit, which will give him a chance to win Michigan and Pennsylvania. But that ain't going to happen. It just isn't. Um, those voters are coming out. And they're coming out against Trump. They're not coming out for him. And so that's, that's going to be the problem. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's going to be the candidate. Um, and that's all there is to it. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. But Allison, I, I will tell you that I agree with what you're saying here. And you are not alone. Um, there, there are a lot of... Republicans and conservatives who feel the same way. And, and there are also a lot who didn't feel that way to begin with. That, you know, there are a lot of people who kind of liked Trump's whole shtick, but now have grown tired of it. Um, and have grown tired of it, especially because although he has done some good things and he has followed through on some of his promises, he also has done a lot of nothing at the same time. He spent a lot of time tweeting, a lot of time arguing with cable news personalities, a lot of time worried about, you know, exacting vengeance via Twitter on anyone who insults him, but not a lot of time, you know, for instance, trying to get the wall built, which he could have done. He, 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 had, the, he had the government, you know, he had Republicans control the government from, 
for the first two years of his presidency. You could try to blame Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell all you want. The fact is, he could have had this fight right then and there from day one. He could have said, we're going to get this wall built, and he could have obsessively focused on it. And if he had done that, it would have happened. Um, because he had leverage over Republicans, he has none over Democrats. He waited until Democrats controlled the House to even try to build the wall, which tells me that he doesn't really care about building it. And um, and I think there are a lot of voters who have noticed that and are going to be less excited about coming out in 2020 for that reason. So, All right. We'll leave it on that depressing note. That's your fault, Allison. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Thank you for the email. And thanks for watching, everybody. Godspeed. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. A woman is suing an Uber driver for refusing to take her to an abortion. Meanwhile, leftists weep over a sack full of puppies in a dumpster. We will examine our clinical culture. Check it out at dailywire.com.